Every day we make choices. We choose what we want to eat, we choose how we spend our time, we choose even who to talk to or not talk to. And then there's other choices we make that sometimes carry consequences with them or potential consequences like speeding up or slowing down when the light turns yellow. And then there's other choices that are kind of choices but not really. I just got finished my radiation treatment and before that happened I had to take 14 days of an iodine-free diet. And basically what that meant was I could eat a little bit of meat every day, but I couldn't eat dairy or soy or seafood uh, or egg yolks. And most importantly, I couldn't eat most salt. I challenge you, the next time you go grocery shopping, pay attention to your labels and you'll notice how many products have salt in them or even sea salt in them. Basically, I survived for two weeks on vegetables, fruit, salt-free peanut butter, and marshmallows. I'm not, I'm serious, that's what I ate for two weeks. Look pretty good, don't I, for that diet. I wouldn't recommend it, but here's the thing. I could have chose not to eat that diet, I could have chose just to eat normally, but here's the consequence of that choice if I had gone down that road. I would not have been given my radiation treatment because I needed my body to have as small amount of iodine in it as possible in, in order for the radiation to work for my thyroid cancer. And there are other things, choices in life where we are faced with choices to obey God, not obey God. And it just seems like life is just full of these choices. And today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. And sometimes the choices that we have before us are not as clear cut as we might think. And the story today is a well-known story. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But really, because I love this story so much, I wanted to break it into two weeks. And so in the first week, we're not even going to get to the, de the den. We're just going to set it up. So let me read the first few verses of chapter 6. It says this, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself from among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal advisors, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it, in, put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, the king, so King Darius put the decree in writing. 
I mean, in this first little few chapters, we're introduced to the main players of this story. And you have Darius, who's a Mede, who we find who now he's ruling Babylon and its, provi- and its provinces. It's no longer the Babyl- Babylonians in control. You have this other group of 120 satraps and three administrators, of whom Daniel is one of them. And it's interesting to note that at this time, Daniel would have probably been in his 80s. Think about that, in his 80s. And he is one of the best administrators in the land. And he distinguishes himself so much so that the king wants to put him over top of everyone else. And somehow, this decision by the king is kind of leaked out to everyone else. And as you look at this story, and although this story evolves into themes of obedience and courage, it really starts off as a story about workplace politics. That's what this is. You basically have 122 people who don't want Daniel placed over them. And whether it's out of envy or jealousy or probably more greed, because if you look at the verses, you see in verse 2 that the king uh, wanted to put people in charge of these things so that he wouldn't suffer financial loss, probably. That's what the loss he's talking about there. And then you look down at verse 4, and we find that Daniel has no corruption. And so these, these men... These 122 men would have been placed in positions of authority where they would have had the opportunity, you know, to uh, divert a few funds here, divert a few funds there, line their pockets with some bribes. And yet they knew Daniel would probably severely limit their ability for this financial gain. And so what ended up being an attack and a test on Daniel's faith started out simply as a conflict at his work. And the conflict came not because it was religious in nature, but because Daniel's faith shaped how he acted. We live in a culture that honestly doesn't really care what we believe. They only care when our beliefs start to shape our actions. They really start to care when we live our life full of integrity and don't lie. And don't lie for them. They start to care when we work hard and aren't lazy in our jobs. They start to care when we honor our boss and our employers by being on time and we don't cut corners and we go the extra mile and we work our hardest on projects. You see, because when we're doing all those things, our light begins to shine. And when they look at our work ethic, our ability to, uh, to uh, be, lead a life of integrity, they see that their life does not measure up. And whether it's dishonest gain or other things, people will start to treat us in the same ways that these people started to treat Daniel. When our beliefs begin to affect our actions and how we live our lives, that's when people notice. And you probably don't have the same level of conflict that Daniel had in your workplace, although... You may have people who are vying for a promotion like you are, or you may have people who have stabbed you in the back or lied about you or done some nasty things to you at work. But think about this. These guys enacted a law so that they could kill Daniel. They've taken workplace conflict to the next level. right? And then, So let's see how Daniel responds. And in verse 10, it says this. 
Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prayed to any God or human being except for you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the, the, the decree that you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He de was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Verse 10 is an important verse in this passage. And uh, it's interesting that many people compare chapter 3 of Daniel with chapter 6. And chapter 3 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And there's a lot of similarities between these two stories where you have uh, men, uh, individuals standing up for their belief in God and basically the cost of standing their ground was going to be death. And in Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's case, an angel came and saved them. And we're going to get to see what happens to Daniel. But there are actually some differences in between the two stories. And I just want to highlight two for us today. The first one is this. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their, uh, their trial, their, their uh, time to stand for God happened in a very public setting. They were out in public in front of everybody and they were ordered to bow down to this idol and they refused to bow. And so you have them in this public setting basically having to make a decision on the spot. And their decision was really to honor God by not bowing down or dishonor God by bowing down. And that was their choice. But Daniel actually has a different choice. You see, his offense is not done in the public square. His offense is done in the private space of his house. He is in his home, praying. And, and I think if we're honest, and we read this story without jumping ahead, there are some questions we really should have about Daniel's actions. Like, why didn't Daniel just go pray somewhere else? I mean, the, the story tells us that he went into his room, his living room basically, to the window that faced Jerusalem. And the implication of the passage is this, is that because he prayed in front of his window, the guys who were trying to trap him saw him praying and were able to trap him in the trap that they had laid out for him. I mean, he could have pray, changed his prayer location. And he could have changed his prayer rhythm of how he prayed. I mean, wasn't there somewhere else in the house he could have prayed? He could have still faced in the same direction. I mean, somewhere a little less public, God would have honored that prayer. I mean, Jesus tells us later on in the New Testament that we really should pray more privately in, in our prayer closets even. Prayer isn't about a public thing, a spectacle that we do in front of others. And why does he have to keep the same timing? I mean, he prays three times a day. There's nowhere in, in Scripture that says you've got to pray three times a day or you're in trouble. This seemed to just be his rhythm of prayer. 
And it's not like God has office hours where you have to pray at a specific time so that you can get his attention. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine shared a story with me where he was talking to one of his friends, a friend who's not a believer, and going through a number of significant things in their life, including the sickness of one of their children. And uh, this friend had reached out and just said, hey, can you send you know, some positive thoughts my way? And my friend said, well, I don't really send positive thoughts to anyone, but I'd be willing to pray to Jesus for you, especially pray for the healing of your child. And so there was some dialogue that uh, continued over that, and, and, the, and his friend was grateful. And, and finally my friend said, you know what, you can even pray to God for this. God will listen to you, even though you don't follow him. And, uh, and this, is, this was kind of funny. I kind of laughed because my friend shared this. He said, the friend came back to, to him and said uh, he'd be willing to pray to Jesus, but he wondered when was the best time in the day to pray to Jesus. Like Jesus had office hours and was waiting, you know, nine to five. That's when you got to get a hold of Jesus. And that's kind of like the picture you get when you're reading Daniel. He has this set rhythm where he's praying. Like, couldn't he just alter it? Like, couldn't he just change it by like an hour? And the guys would get tired of trying to catch him looking through the window. And would that change really be an affront to his faith? Like, he wasn't mandated to pray in a specific position. He wasn't mandated to pray in a specific time. And yet, I get the sense when I read this chapter and as we've been looking at Daniel, that I think Daniel would have considered changing his rhythm, even changing his location, a compromise. And it was a compromise he was unwilling to make in that moment. The Puritan preacher Henry Smith says this, God examines with trials, the devil with temptations, and the world with persecutions. You see, whenever we are examined, we are tempted to compromise. When our examination is a trial, we are tempted to compromise by looking for the easy way out. We are tempted to look at doing things that don't rely on God. We are tempted to just do things in our own strength or by our own smarts or with our own money. When it comes to temptations, we compromise by, you know, wanting to experience that short-lived pleasure that comes with the sin or that short-lived gain that comes when we sin. Or we compromise by not really believing that God has our best interests at heart. That's why we sleep together before we get married. That's why we cheat to get ahead. And when it comes to persecutions, we compromise when we're examined by persecutions. We compromise by keeping quiet and, so, and not saying anything to avoid the persecution. Or we act contrary to what we actually believe in the moment. And it's in that aspect of compromise where I think Daniel finds himself. He believes not that it would be wrong to pray at a different time or even in a different location, but that for him, it would be wrong to compromise his rhythm and his uh, walking with God on a daily basis. And here's where we get to the other difference that I see in this passage that's different from chapter 3. Daniel faces this test, this trial by himself. It isn't the three amigos together standing there. He doesn't have a friend to lean on. 
There's no one singing Stand By Me into the karaoke mic. It's him by himself. He's facing this alone. Which is why there's no surprise that he goes to prayer. Because whenever you have to stand your ground alone, you realize that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you love God, that you're never alone when you have God in your life. And so, of course, his first action is to go and pray. And there's one phrase that really got me when I was reading these verses, and it says that when he got home, he went upstairs, opened his window, and he faced Jerusalem. Now, why would he face Jerusalem? Is there a significance to that? And I think there is. If you look back into 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8 tells us uh, or records the dedication of the temple by Solomon. And chapter 8 has this really long extended prayer, one of the longest prayers in the Bible, actually. And Solomon prays about a lot of things. But in verse 48 and verse 49, he prays something that is very applicable to Daniel. And he's talking about Jews that had been captive and taken away from Israel. And he says this, And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, and pray to you towards the land you gave their ancestors, towards the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause. And so I wonder if Daniel had and knew what Solomon had said in his prayer. And in the back of his mind, he was living out what Solomon had prayed about, He was in a captive land, exiled, away from Jerusalem, and yet he was faithful to God, and so he faced Jerusalem. He faced the temple. He got on his knees, and he prayed three times a day, pleading with God. I I got a new appreciation for this verse. About three years ago, Pam and I had the privilege of taking a group of people from Southridge to Israel. And we got to travel around Israel and and basically see the places where Jesus walked and where all these stories in the Old Testament happen. And one of the cool things about the trip is this, that at different places, different people had these moments, almost these holy moments where they just had this interaction with God. For some on the group, that was when we were out in the Sea of Galilee on a boat. For others, it was standing on the top of Mount Carmel looking over the valley. Others, it was in Nazareth, the place where Jesus grew up. For me, one of those places was in Jerusalem when I was standing at the Temple Mount and I I was at the very base of the Temple Mount standing before these humongous rocks, these stones that had been set in place and they were the foundation of the temple that was in place when Jesus walked the earth. And I was standing there and I had my hand on these stones and I was praying. And I was just overcome with God's presence. It was a real holy moment for me. And as I read this verse and I I put myself in Daniel's shoes and as he's there praying, facing Jerusalem, making his case before God, I was just reminded of that experience for me and how special it was for me to be in that place. And sometimes there are places that are special to us that remind us of who God is 
and remind us of, of what he has done for us. And in this passage, we find that two very interesting things about Daniel's prayer. Uh, in his prayer life, in, in verse 10, it tells us that he starts his prayer with thanksgiving. And, um, and then he moves on in verse 11 to, t- to pray for help. And I found this interesting, but it, I think it's a great reminder. You see, when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves facing obstacles we can't get over, when we find ourselves in situations that we can't control, when we find ourselves with outcomes coming at us that we don't want, I think our temptation is to start praying and asking God for help right away. And this is a reminder that when we are in those situations, to take a step back and pause and take a moment and start thanking God for what he's done in our life. You see, I think what happens when we jump into the need, often we can get so focused on the need or the problem or the trouble that lies ahead that we focus on that and we take our eyes actually off of God, the person who can help us with that. But when we start with thanksgiving as our prayer life, when we start by thanking who God for what he's done in our life already, our focus is set on the God who can actually help us, help us with whatever we're facing. And I think that's what Daniel does here intentionally. And it's a great reminder for me that I need to begin my prayer times with God with thanksgiving so that I have a proper mindset with who God is before I get to all the lists of what I need him to help me with. Daniel ends up getting arrested, basically. And the king realizes he's been tricked by these guys. And now he realizes that he has to put Daniel in the lion's den. And as I was thinking about this whole process and wrestling with this tension where I think Daniel could have saved himself on some level if he had just altered his course of action, I came to the place where I think Daniel realized it was in this moment that he needed to take a stand. And there are moments in our lives where we just realize that we have to do something We could do something else, but we have to do something. And God puts us in that position, and we have to take a stand for God in that moment. And I think that's where Daniel came to. He just realized he needed to take a stand for God. He wasn't going to alter his prayer rhythm of life because he followed God daily. He wasn't going to change that for anybody, not even the king, not even to save himself. And there's this tension that I see in this passage that Daniel faces. The tension to obey God or to obey the king's edict or hide from the king's edict. And the choice to obey occurs for Daniel before he actually knows the outcome of what will happen. I mean, he goes into making this choice to pray, realizing he's probably going to die, but he has no idea what God will end up doing for him. He can only hope. And that just reminds us about choices. I mean, we can't choose to be obedient in hindsight. Just think about that. We cannot choose to be obedient in hindsight. I mean, we can look back and wish that we had been obedient, that we hadn't uh, uh, disobeyed, but we can't change it. And we can't be obedient in the future. I mean, you can hope to be obedient all you want in the future. But obedience, you can only be obedient in the moment. You can only be obedient in that moment that is right before you. 
You can't be obedient in the past. You can't be obedient in the future. You can only be obedient in that moment. So that means that every day you will face choices. You will face choices to obey or compromise. You will face choices to honor God or dishonor God. And here's the thing I see about Daniel. If you go back to verse 4 when they were trying to dig up dirt on Daniel and they couldn't, you realize that Daniel, every day of his life, was faced with choices. And he chose to obey God all the time. And so this choice to obey God was built on a track record of obedience. Everything he did at work, everything he did at home, the small things in life, the everyday things in life, he chose to be obedient. And this is what I know about obedience. It is a lot easier to be obedient in the moment when you have a track record of obedience in your history. Did you catch that? It is a lot easier to be obedient in the moment when you have a track record of obedience in your past. Maybe you're sitting here listening to this and you say, you know what, Brent, I don't have a great track record of being obedient to God. Maybe the message that God wants you to hear today is this. God is just saying, be obedient with your next choice. Be obedient with your next trial. Be obedient in your next temptation. Be obedient in your next persecution. Start your track record today. As I look at Daniel and this amazing stand he takes, I realize that it took a lot of courage for him to do it. Let's not discount that. I mean, he faced death with his choice. And when you face the possibility of death, you need a whole lot of courage. So where did Daniel's courage come from? His courage came from his unshakable faith in his living God. That's where he got it. But here's the thing. You and I have a stronger foundation than even Daniel had. Think about this. Daniel's in Babylon, and to gain courage, he's praying to God, facing a broken city and a torn-down temple. And all he has is a promise that a Messiah is going to come one day. Us? We have such a more solid foundation than Daniel has in terms of our faith. I mean, we look to a Messiah who has come. We look to a Messiah who died for us on a cross. We look to a Messiah who is alive, who rose from the dead. We look to a Messiah who made our salvation a certainty. We have a stronger foundation than Daniel did to have a courage to face the choices we face every day. You see, our courage doesn't come from looking to Jerusalem. Our courage comes from looking back at the cross. Daniel ended up putting his life into God's hands. And next week, we're going to find out how that turns out for him. But this week is what, what I want to leave you with is this. Whatever you may be facing, whatever trial or temptation or even persecution, or maybe even the small things in life, whatever decisions you have to make on a daily basis to obey God or not obey God, every time you choose to obey God, you, in essence, put your life into His hands, just like Daniel put his life into God's hands. And you know what? 
Putting your life into God's hands is the safest place to be. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this story of Daniel. Lord, I want to pray for those who are listening to this and they're facing things in life where they need courage to step into. Lord, for some, they might be finding it really hard to trust you right now. And I just ask that they make the decision to trust you and put their life in your hand. Lord, I pray for those who are listening and they have a terrible track record of obeying you. I pray that you give them the strength that in the next decision, the next chance they have to obey you, they would. That they wouldn't turn their back on you. Lord, but most of all, I just want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you that today we have a Messiah, a Savior, who gives us the confidence to step into making these decisions. Confidence to step into following you, God. Gives us a confidence to know that you are with us, that you love us, and that you will protect us and that you will always be with us regardless of what we go through. And so God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for joining us again this uh, Sunday, if it's Sunday that you're listening to us. Uh, I encourage you to uh, check out our website to find out what's going on uh, at the church and in the church and the programs that we're doing. And most of all, I want to invite you back next week as we finish the second half of chapter 6. I look forward to talking to you again. Have a great week.